1: Welcome, everybody, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. We get on the air because of the efforts of our engineer. His name is Alan Dempsey. Remember that name. It's important. And Andrew Herdliska is our producer. And Steve Witt is our is our first guest he's the senior leader of Bethel Cleveland his new book is out it's called your prophetic life map Steve welcome welcome to Florida how are you my friend
2: oh great to be here Uh, good to talk to you Pat
1: Steve is uh, centered in Cleveland Ohio until the weather gets cold and then he heads to Florida
2: (laughs) as much as I can (laughs)
1: Good, Steve what is that what does that title mean Prophetic life map, explain that.
2: Yeah, well, uh, interesting. I was on a program yesterday, and someone focused how that it's your prophetic life map. It's not just a prophetic life map. Uh-huh. And my purpose in really writing this book uh, last year was to uh, craft a, a pathway for people to really go deeper in God and discover three key things in their life—their identity, their destiny, and their legacy Everyone I talk to really uh, struggles with that. They're they're trying to figure out, you know, who am I, uh, where am I going, and what does my life really mean, what am I going to leave after I pass on to go to be with Jesus, what's my life all about? So I put this together, and it's literally a, a compilation of about 30 years of my life. I started out as a business trainer for nine years for an international business training company where I taught management stuff. And memory things, and uh, learning names, and uh, public speaking, things like that. And when I got involved in that, I was also planting churches. I've been planting churches for 40 years, and it all kind of mixed together. That's the one thing I love about the Kingdom of God, the Lord Jesus. He uses things that are right in front of us to train us as parables. And so your prophetic life map is about your prophetic, prophetic speaking, of what has been spoken over your life? What are the indicators that are in your life so far, regardless of your age? What's the, what are the dots, the waypoints, the flashpoints along the way of your life where you say, that was strange. That was weird. That, that was God. I don't know what that was, you know, all those kind of points, the good, the bad, the ugly. And, and I, I start threading those together through the book so you can get a trajectory and an understanding of who you are. And what God's taking here, and of course it involves prophetic words. You know, in our circles, you know, the, the odd prophetic word that comes along, or even through preaching, and you feel something kind of setting your heart on fire, and I kind of want to know what that was. What is that thing that really struck you and, and raised passion in your heart? Because it can be an indicator about what God has fashioned you to do. So I took through basically, it's not a step-by-step, but it's pretty close, I mean, if you take this book seriously, you can read the book like any book and get inspired by it, you know, and walk away saying, hey, I feel pretty good about that. feel pretty good about my life. Or you can dive into it. And, I, Pat, I provided uh, uh, two question sections in the end and an activation. Obviously, these are optional, but I really encourage people who are serious about discovering their life and discovering who Jesus is in them to pursue these questions and answer them. I'm putting together an e-course right now on SteveWitt.com that'll be ready in mid-November for people to download. They'll actually get a personal map that they fill in. I wish I could show you what it looks like, but they start with their Jesus moment in their life. Like, when did Jesus encounter your life? Because when Jesus comes into your life, everything begins to change from that point on. You know, the Bible says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Thus, your prophetic life map is in Jesus Christ. The more you pursue Jesus, you love Jesus, you worship Jesus, you study the Word of God, you, you, you do what Jesus said when he said, learn of me. First thing he said was, follow me. Then he said, learn of me. So you can either be a follower or a disciple. Followers are great, but a disciple is a learner. When you begin to learn about Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ is hidden everything about your future that you need to know. So that is your prophetic life map. And I'm just like a I'm a coach, I'm a tour guide. I'm trying to take you take you on a journey that's that's gonna end uh a uh, what I like to call in business circles a preferred future. <laughs> you know, so we want a preferred future in Jesus Christ, and that's why I wrote the book.
1: Steve <clears throat> Chapter one map making. Partnering with God. Uh, tell us about that.
2: Yeah, there's a lot I can say about it, and and I, I get in detail in the book. But map making is really one of the first things you need to understand is that God has designed this relationship we have with Him as a partnership. He didn't have to do it that way, but He did, and so. There is effort. Right? As I was just reading the other day. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, and it's all about the knowledge of Christ that you're you're taking, what you're learning, what you're knowing. You bring it into your life, and like in the example of Joshua in the Old Testament, when he was in a battle fighting, uh, he had his sword. He was fighting, and all of a sudden, the hailstones came out of heaven and destroyed the enemy of Joshua. And there's this a neat little verse right after that that says, and there were more killed with the hailstones than there was by the sword of Joshua. And that always stuck in my head. I thought, I love that. God invites us in, but He is ready and, and through His Holy Spirit is right with us to help make sure that we bring this into a victory. In Romans 5 it says, To the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. So there is a potential to reign in life, R-E-I-T-E-N, reign in life through Jesus Christ when you receive that abundance of grace and that uh, uh, the righteousness, the gift of righteousness. Most people do not know that they were declared righteous by God in Christ Jesus. And so when you know that you're righteous, not in your own righteousness, it's like filthy rags, but because of Jesus Christ, now there's the potential to actually do something amazing in this temporal realm called Earth right now. So that's what map Making is about. Map Making is about finding out the map that God's laid out for you. There's, there's kind of three maps, really. There's, there's, a, uh, there's a Jesus map, there's your map, and there's a demonic map. I mean, the devil has a map for you, too. I believe the devil really has where he wants you to go, what he wants to do with you, how your life is to either be overtly spent on evil things or evil practices or just wasted, you know, or you don't really do much in your life at all. That's kind of the the biggest thing, I think, that the devil uses. You realize, you know, we all have a bucket list. I, You know, I love going to Florida as much as I can. I love going to Italy. That's bucket list stuff. I check it off. Yeah, I go to Italy, go to Ireland. I just got back from Germany. That's a, I can check that off you know, different people where a different bucket lists catching a certain fish or whatever it might be. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's part of living on earth, and the Lord actually created this earth for us to enjoy. But there's something that transcends that, and it's that it's not the temple realm, it is the eternal realm. So that partnership from heaven is literally living in the tension of heaven and earth. Jesus constantly said, what are we, he said, he said, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. This is what the Church does. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When he prayed his prayer, the famous Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, that would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord really calls us to partner. And it's interesting, Pat, that when he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, it doesn't originate in heaven, it actually originates in earth. He's given us the ability. He's given us keys to the kingdom. These are Jesus' words, not mine. He's given us keys to the kingdom that we might open doors that heaven will reflect. Heaven will empower. Heaven will drop down on that. It's an amazing life, and I get. I am, you know, I understand we're on are on this side of heaven. I understand that it, it's rough. There's pain. There's difficult. I myself went through a cancer battle for seven years. I, I I get that. But I tell you, if you get what I'm saying right now, you you get this partnership with God. You'll, the, you know, it'll rain upon the just and the unjust. The Bible says, but I'm telling you, you will have progressive movement in God. The Bible says you go from strength to strength, from glory to glory, and from faith to faith. In other words, this friend of mine in Pittsburgh, Joseph Garlington, says you go from faith to faith, but it's hell in the hallways. You know, so it's a it's a difficult challenge in this in this thing called life at times. But God got something in front of us, and we're going to
1: continue to move until all of a sudden we wake up one day at, at the feet of Jesus Christ. My guest is Steve Whit. the book, Your Prophetic Life Map. We've got another segment with Steve right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. Steve Witt is with us. <clears throat> His book, Your Prophetic Life Map. Steve, the second topic yep. I, wa- I want you to talk about. Sure. You are here looking at the pattern of your story. What's that mean?
2: Well, everyone has a story, and actually, the stories are kind of popular right now. It's uh, you know, branding your story, understanding who you are, what is your personal brand, what is your history. I to talk a lot about it in there. You know, I, I I read a lot of business books. I have really my whole life. My father was a businessman. I I grew up with deep passion for that. And, and not all business is kingdom, but I tell you, a lot of business uh, principles are actually kingdom principles, and that's why they work. And so I found a lot of people though they they come up with a difficult story. You know, um, I was just sharing this yesterday. In the in the Bible, Jesus shares parables. And parables are meant to show the nature and personality of God. In fact, I have theories. I believe that the, the parables that are in the Bible were actually experiences that Jesus had. During the first 30 years, they were like his story. He was telling his story. And there were lessons in his story. There's lessons in all of our stories if we look at them. There's something. you could, There's pay. You know, what is your take-home pay, so to speak? There's take-home pay in everything you go through, even the difficult times. But Jesus shares these parables, and, and the, the three, the, probably the most popular one, is this little trilogy parable with uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, what we call the prodigal son. And Jesus tells this little this trilogy because the Pharisees were complaining about him hanging out with people that actually had problems. <laughs> and uh, Jesus says, Hey, there's the shepherd, the sheep, we all know the story, the sheep wanders off. This is what this, this sheep in this story speaks of people that just make wrong turns. They're they're kind of oblivious. They don't realize it. They didn't mean any harm. They end up in the wrong place, the wrong crowd, the wrong group, the wrong geography, whatever it might be. And and, and Jesus demonstrates to the Pharisees, the religious people at the time, how how religious uh, we how, how we place religion upon God that the gods about to come after you. In fact. You know, in America, we have all these colloquialisms and things hey, you, you, you made your bed, now lie in it. You know, we, we don't have any mercy on people at all that wander off and make wrong mistakes. You know, well, you don't have to work your way out of this. You know, you have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, whatever it be. But Jesus steps in and says, here's what God's like. God goes after. He leaves the 99, goes after the 1. Right now, if you're away from God, I can tell you one thing for sure. God is seeking you out. God is after you, and he's weaving things in your life that you may not even realize are God, but it's his rescuing of your life. He goes and gets the shape. And by the way, in each of these three aspects of this parable, they all have one commonality to it. They end in a party. It's always toward the bliss of God, the joy of God, the presence of God, that being with God is a good thing. It feels like heaven on earth. So he has something, if you've been captured stuck in a thicket somewhere, you got thorns all around you, you don't know how to get out, I'm telling you Jesus is on his way. And he has something that he's gonna let you out and bring you into. So the second one is the coin. Coins have no choice over where they end up. People coins fall out of pockets, coins fall out of purses, they just lay there until someone discovers them, you know. So they, they had no choice in it, they didn't wander, they they were born on so called the wrong side of the tracks, they were born in their own place, they were born with the wrong testimony, the wrong story, the wrong parents, whatever you might think. But the Lord comes after them, too, and in this case, He's a woman, and Pharisees didn't really like women. And so this is amazing that Jesus chooses a woman in here saying, look, God is very different than what you think. He's like a woman who loses a coin, a precious coin, and turns on the light, sweeps the house until she finds the coin. And when she finds the coin, she rejoices, excited, party, and everything else. The last one." is a little different, and this is a son who rebels. So coins can, you know, you up places you don't want to be, you make wrong turns, that's all one part of it. But this is somebody who, who has eyes wide open, makes a choice that is detrimental to his future and even interest to his family. And he makes a choice and goes in a direction, and only it takes him hitting the brick wall, so to speak, before he wakes up and says, I'm in the wrong place. This is not who I am. I need to go back to my father's house. And even if I, he'll just take me as a servant, so it's that religious false humility. I'll just, I can't be a son anymore because of what I've done. I'm embarrassed. I've ashamed I, I my family, whatever it might be. But this is a picture. God now is a father. <laughs> He's right home. And he, he doesn't go after the son, because sometimes rebellious people need to hit a certain wall before they come to realization that, I want to go home. I heard a quote from a, an Italian chef recently where he said, sometimes you have to leave home to find home. So sometimes you're out there and you realize, I'm going to go back home. Or no, so how I'm to have And what happens is you get the father that runs after him, tackles him, loves on him. They're laughing, joking, so happy. He yells to the servants, put a robe on his back, put shoes on his feet. I mean, this is all picture. So here's the bottom line of the story Jesus is telling. God always has a new headline over your life. You've lived a certain story, and, you know, you may have ended up in a place, made wrong choices, been rebellious. Whatever you've done, we've all done that. But we we need to know that God is either coming after you, He is waiting for you, and there's not judgment for you now. If you surrender your heart fully to Jesus Christ, there is a party waiting for you, and you're going to enter into a life. That's why I front-loaded this book, There's a couple of chapters here to really encourage people. And then I capstone it. The last chapter of this book, chapter 15, is actually my favorite chapter. And it talks about what happens in the womb before you're even born. You're born a champion. You're born already with victory marked on your heart. But people talk you out of it your whole life. And so I'm trying to lead people into life realizing, you know what? You can experience a life that's not perfect, but it's going to have righteousness, which means you're going to know who you are. It's going to have joy and it's going to have peace in the Holy Spirit upon your life.
1: Steve Witt is with us, his book, Your Prophetic Life Map. And Steve, before we run out of time, I'm, I'm going to leap to chapter 15, which you just mentioned, Yeah. because I want you to talk about the amazing race persevering as the winner you are. I want you to tell us about that.
2: Yeah, first of all, yeah, my book, you can get my book on yourpropheticlifemap.com. And if you go on there, there's nine different distributors, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, but, you know, Walmart, everybody's on there pretty much uh, to get the book, Your Prophetic Life Map. But last chapter of this book, though, I tell a story that most people have not heard in detail, but I talk about when your mom and dad first came together. Of course, there was an intimate relationship. I know this is on radio, so I'm trying to keep it as clear as possible. But somewhere, there was the release of over a billion potential yous, people that you could have become, see, that goes into the mother's womb and is on a mission. There's actually a, uh, a mission there to find an egg. You've got uh, your chromosomes that you're about to deliver to this egg, which gives you full chromosomes of uh, who you're going to be, what you're going to be like. And I tell people, uh, one one billion people is pretty much the... Uh, population of the Western Hemisphere. So let's call it North and South America. If you're in a foot race with all of North and South America, I mean, what do you think your odds are? Very slim. But somehow, in the womb, with half your chromosomes, you went into absolute darkness and you pursued something that you instinctively knew was in a certain direction. And almost uh, 990 million of those uh, sperm cells that are going out there those seeds that are in there are going to make wrong turns and up at the wrong place. You ended up in the wrong place. You made the choice to penetrate the egg that was there, and once you penetrated that egg, it was sealed off. All along the way, you've got you've got white blood cells attacking, you got all kinds of things coming against you. It's pretty fascinating. I don't know a lot of detail in Chapter 15, because when you finally get born, you have already won the greatest victory of your life. I mean, it's God designed it this way so that you're born victorious. You're born with a sense of destiny. But then you're born in the situations that try to crowd you out, uh, minimize you, diminish you, put you down, label you, uh, tell you who you're going to be and what you're going to be, and it's not what you want. You're never going to get what you want, and all those kinds of things. And so now you fight a new battle outside the womb. But I can tell you right now, I can, I can predict your future. If you align with what happened in the womb, you're going to align yourself in life toward an amazing destiny. The Bible says you were fearfully and wonderfully made by God in the womb. You were crafted by God. And in the case of Jeremiah, you've even been called by God in the womb. So God's got a destiny for you, and as you draw close to Jesus Christ and really give yourself fully into him, you're going to start discovering, you're going to unpack your own identity, your destiny, and your legacy in God. So it's about becoming a winner in life, and, and I'm not talking about some kind of a self-help way where, hey, we're making a lot of money, we've got a big house, and all that. I mean, whatever God does in your life is going to do in your life, but the amazing thing is you are going to have the inner peace and joy that you've always longed for. You're going to have a sense of family, you're going to be a part of a tribe, you're going to have a purpose for living, and hope and faith is going to spring out of your heart.
1: Steve, <clears throat> what is this spiritual sweet spot you write about in... How do we find this?
2: Yeah, a spiritual uh, sweet spot is, is when you, you start bringing together three key components in your life. And I talk about it in the book. One is choice-making or choice design, that, uh, you know, to, to move ahead in life, in the temporal realm, you know, to become successful, to do what you need to do. And also, in your walk with the spiritual, with, with the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you got to learn how to make choices. In fact, I have five graphs in the book. Uh, it's, it's unusual to get a Christian book that has graphs in it. These are graphs, though, where you can pinpoint where you are and know what kind of things you need to do to make a decision with where you are. And so part of life is learning how to make good choices, and that uh, some choices are cold choices that you need to make up front and saying, look, these are choices that are not going to change. You know, I'm going to love in all ways. I'm going to love God. I'm going to believe God loves me. He cares for me. These are things that do not change. And then there's hot choices that you make in a moment that can cause you some real problems. So I want to create a a construct of choice-making so that people can start making reasonable choices, particularly about, you know, the seven major things in life that that we all typically have to make choices about. Like, you know, where I'm going to live. You know, you live in uh, Florida. Uh, Living in Florida changes the dynamic of your life. Uh, living in Ohio changes the dynamic of your life. So geography is very important. People need to pray and think and hear from God about where they're supposed to live. What is their career? Who is their life mate? These seven different major choices can become very important on the joy that you, you experience while you're here on Earth. And also the, uh, the fulfilling of the uh, destiny that God has for you. So we get that one circle, you know, making choices. The other is about your personal currencies. And I've come up with, I think, about 20 personal currencies. Obviously, money is one of them, but your history is a currency, your reputation is a currency. There's a lot of currencies that you can either spend or waste or invest. And so we talk about that so you can find out what are your key currencies? What are the things that are really strong in your life? And then the third part of the sweet spot is passion. And when you know what you're passionate about, you know, what God's given you on this side of heaven to be passionate about that fulfills a heavenly vision. When you get those three things kind of moving together in sync, you get the engine of your soul that begins to move, and it creates opportunities in front of you. Like opportunities do not just come to you; some do, but opportunities can be created by choices you make. And so, when you're, the engine of your soul begins to move, you know you get the right education that you need to go where you need to go. You get the right experiences you need. You're starting to put some meat on the bones, and all of a sudden, opportunities come to you then you make those right choices on those opportunities because you've already dealt with choice design. And because of it, uh, that's the sweet spot. The sweet spot is the thing that's on a, uh, a baseball bat, a golf club, anything. You hit it right, you get maximum uh, uh, distance and maximum uh, accuracy. And so we want to live in a place which some, like Daniel Pink, a great author, calls flow, you want to move and flow. The Bible says, "Out of your belly shall flow rivers." God wants rivers to flow out of you. So that's that partnership of heaven. You, you, the Lord will fill the reservoir. You're the one that opens the dam of the reservoir and lets these things out. But a lot of Christians just sit around and say, "Well, God wants me to do this. He's going to do it." It's a little bit more of a fatalistic approach. You, you've got to say, "No, I am in a partnership with God." He's given me this great dream, like Joseph, that someday his brothers and sisters, mom and dad, would bow down to him. He's got this dream, but God's going God's to gonna move in his life. Man have his, has his plans, but God orders the steps. That's the rhythm of the life we live. So that sweet spot is getting some things in order so that God can bring to you what is going to take you into the next place in life.
1: Steve, uh, we've run out of time, but tell me, how can people reach out to you? How can they make contact with you?
2: Um, Steve Witt, W-I-T-T dot com. They can come check that out. I've got my e-course coming out in November, mid-November. But also go to yourpropheticlifemap.com, and that's where you can order the book. The book is a great way to kind of start moving into it. Do the exercises that are in it. Plow your way through it. I'm going to have on my website a free map that you can download where you can actually track your direction and help you know what do I need to do today that's going to take me toward my the fulfillment of my prophetic life map.
1: Steve Witt has been our guest. Your prophetic life map, the name of the book. We've got more right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando. Steve Witt, our guest in that first segment, uh, talking about his book, your Prophetic Life Map, Tyrus Hinton is in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's the founder of the Hinton Cares Foundation, and his book is out. It's called Baby Steps. I'm diagnosed. Now what? Uh, Tyrus, first of all, welcome. I'm I'm glad that we can visit here, and I hope things are well with you. I hope you're doing well.
3: Thank you, tester. So much for having me, Pat. Yes, I'm doing great. I feel great. Good. No complaints at all here.
1: Uh, what does that title "Baby Steps" meme? I'm diagnosed now. What? Uh, fill us in on that.
3: So, Baby Steps is just a simple resource that reminds you that you're strong enough um, to go through what you're dealing with, whatever that diagnosis might be, and to provide you with a ten-day um, outline. Uh, the way to baby step, a way to maintain your strength through diagnosis. Um, As we know, the diagnosis of any kind can be very, very devastating. Um, You know, personally, I've been affected twice. My son with acute myeloid leukemia at 16 months, and then me personally being diagnosed with intestinal cancer at 43. So any diagnosis requires a personal reset, that um, many, many people are just not familiar with. And I just wanted to provide a practical resource for people to have in their hands while they're in the hospitals going through these different uh, phases of diagnosis. So that, that's it in a nutshell.
1: Uh, you, you say, Tyrus, in um, your first chapter, day one, you call it, just breathe. Uh, What does that mean?
3: So we're talking about just breathe, and I'm thinking about, um, again, writing this from a place of experience with both my son and myself. Um, The hardest hit that you could receive, honestly, is someone telling you um, that you've been diagnosed with anything, any kind of terminal illness. And it's our natural instinct to panic. It is our natural instinct to Mm -hmm. think the worst. It is our natural instinct to really um, start processing something that we haven't even fully come to understand yet. So I encourage people, when you first get that information, to just breathe. Again, this comes from a place of clear understanding and knowledge of dealing with this. On one occasion with my son, where I wasn't so skilled, but I kind of made it through. But then when my diagnosis came, man, I picked up my own resource and I was like, wow, it's true. It's just breathe. Just kind of take it all in. You really don't need fancy words. You don't need anything else. You just need to know, take a breathe. Right now you're trying to just catch your breath, see what's going on. Even if that means, and I'm saying just breathe, even if that means you need to inhale and while you're inhaling, you exhale and there's a tear coming out. Whatever that means for that person in that moment, I don't want you to try to figure it out. I just want you to breathe so you can prepare for the next step that you're going to have to take.
1: And that leads us to day two. Listen, 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 you tell us.
3: Yes. (laughs) Well, you know, we heard that growing up as children, right? Listen, listen, just listen, just listen. Our parents always told us to listen, uh, mostly to them. But at time of diagnosis, it's extremely important that we listen to what the medical staff is telling us. It's extremely important. Um, Of course, after we're breathing, one thing that is great about the medical staff back then, and even now I'm noticing as visiting with different families, is that they give you a little bit of time to digest what they just told you. Um, In that, they will give you time and they'll say, okay... We'll come back. We'll give you some time to think about it. We'll give you some time to write it down. So now what I'm encouraging people to do next is kind of listen. Don't listen to answer, but listen to hear. Listen to understand what they're saying. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Make sure um, that you're not trying to prove that you're smarter than the doctors. Um, You just really want to hear what they have to say. Listening enables you even to make some very, very informed and focused decisions because these decisions that you'll have to make a diagnosis are not everyday decisions. So you really have to listen. You really, really have to listen to everything they're telling us um, in these moments because really they can be life-altering. If we miss a step or we didn't hear what they said or we didn't understand, or we didn't ask questions, we were listening, we could really, really mess ourselves up in a big way.
1: Tyrus Hinton is with us. He's in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, author of Baby Steps. Tyrus, I want you to now uh, explain day three. Find a song, you tell us.
3: So, of course, being a a, a Christian myself, um, I found a lot of strength in song. I found strength in Singing, music has always been somewhat of a relief for our family, for my wife and I. Um, Of course, your children. Most of the way we learned our ABCs were singing songs. Most of the things that we can relate our childhood development to, even though we were reading those things, there were songs that kind of go with them. Well, even in diagnosis, I think it's important for us because music can suspend you in time. It can really kind of just take you to a whole nother place, a place of peace. It can really transform your mind, and then it can even touch your soul. So again, I encourage people to find a song, whatever song makes you feel comfortable, whatever song gives you peace, whatever song makes you feel like you can survive another day. Remember, we're talking about baby steps here. So you might not even know all of the lyrics to all of the verses. You might just know the hook. You might just know... Um, instead of saying what a friend we have in Jesus, you just might know all our sins and griefs to bear. You might, all you might have to know is, you know, just different parts of the song. You don't have to really know the whole song. In our son's case, um, at that time there was a popular artist who's maybe not so popular right now, but his song um, at that time was, I believe I can fly. Mm. And I remember uh, my son and I just kind of looking out the window, um, Every day, every day after diagnosis, we would just look out the window and we would just sing, I begin, I I believe I can fly. And his part in the whole song was fly, because that's all he could say. He was was a little kid. All he could really say was fly. But I would just start singing. I believe I can fly. I believe I can soar. Um, I see us running through an open door. I believe I can fly. And that part brought a solace to us. It helped us to alleviate some of our pain, but really lead us to a place of peace so that when we were hit with more information, we were able to kind of digest it. So I encourage that for people. Um, Music is so therapeutic for so many of us, and I encourage people all the time, um, again, in and out of the hospital, pretty much on a weekly basis, uh, supporting families all the time. I, I talk with them about all the time, hey, what song are you listening to? What are you thinking about? Songs help us manage pain. Songs also help us reduce the needs for sedatives and pain. Um, Songs can also just kind of reduce nausea during the uh, chemotherapy process. Songs can relieve uh, anxiety. And we all know that songs really can uh, lead us out of depression. It can ease us out of depression when we start finding those popular, not popular, but positive reinforcing songs about being better. So that's that's kind of where I come from with that. Again, it's a very practical guide for the person who has just been diagnosed and really doesn't understand what to do next. Oftentimes uh, this Pat, you'll find our families are all of a sudden doctors. They all of a sudden become PhDs. They all of a
2: sudden <laughs> have
3: degrees in medicine as soon as we're diagnosed with something. But, Um, you know, they get tired after they realize it's not a common cold and it's not going away in seven days, that this can be a lifelong process. We have to find ways to get us through these next couple of, whether it be months, weeks, or in some cases, years of diagnosis. So I say find a song. Find something that you can place on your iPhone or whatever the smartphone you're using. Um, Now you have Pandora, you have so many different options, iMusic and Apple Music, and you can download songs that would be your favorite that you can just kind of keep in your ear to kind of keep you in a place of peace as opposed to a place of anxiety.
1: I want you to talk about day four, Tyrus. Erase the routine. Uh, You call it life change. Uh, Explain that to us.
3: So when you're talking about diagnosis, everything changes in that moment. Um, with our son, things changed because he was the baby of three at that time. Our children were 11 months apart. So we had our oldest child, then we had our daughter, our second child, our son. And then we had our third child, which was the baby boy. And of course, you know, as parents, we are very routine, we're very scheduled. We know this one eats at this time, this we do together daycare, you know, or preschool. And we kind of had a formula and a routine of how we do things as a family. Um, what happens is once diagnosis hits, and even with me as an adult at 43, I had a routine going to work every day. I had a routine of going to the gym every day. I had a routine of, um, you know, church in the evenings. I had, my routine was pretty similar as we all have a routine. But once you are diagnosed, your routine changes. And we realize that your schedules will never be the same. Um, you don't realize how drastic it will be. But I try to help the person that has been diagnosed understand that your life has just changed. Your social life has just changed. If you were used to going to hang out with your friends, um, if you're, depending on what you're diagnosed with, your immune system can be compromised. So you're not able to go hang out with everyone. Um, depending on what your diagnosis is, Um, you might have to sit on dialysis machine for four to five hours a day. So you might not be able to go to work as you usually go to work and do your normal activities. So when we think about stuff like that, I encourage people to just kind of erase the whole routine, erase the way you have been doing life for the last 20 years, erase the way you have been doing life for the last 12 months, the last 12 weeks, because now things are going to change. And in our case, of course, with our son. We couldn't hang out with other families that had small children because his immune system couldn't handle it. And then we're thinking about, when you're talking about changing your routine, you're going to have to embrace new routines. You're going to have to involve your entire family, Um, whether it be your blood family or whether it be your family that you created outside of your blood. You're going to have to involve everyone, and then you're going to have to make sure that you create time so that you can keep your sanity. So even you erasing one routine, but you're almost starting another routine of self-care, um, assembling your support network, you know, you're just really changing your whole life. In that case, when we're talking about erasing your routine.
1: Now, on day five, you say, just journal it, write it all down. Uh, why is that important?
3: That's important to us. Um Back in our back during our time, um, we had a composition notebook, and what we did was we journaled every day. We wrote down what his symptoms were. We wrote down what happened that day. We wrote, wrote down what time he woke up. We talked. We wrote down um, what we talked about with the medical team that came in. We also talked about what suggestions they had for us. We also talked about what was happening around us. We talked about. Um, different admissions that day. Um, At that time, it was a little different uh, 20 years ago, or I should say 22 years ago. It was a little different than now because the HIPAA laws weren't in place, and they definitely weren't as strict. So we shared rooms. We talked with other families. And a lot of that stuff we even included in our journal to help us know what path to expect from a practical nature, not from a medical nature, because every case is different. So we encourage people to write it down, write down the information that they're telling you. Um, you don't have to write it down in an organized fashion, but just write it, jot down notes. They walk in, as you know, the medical team, they come around um, and they might come and say, all right, we're changing this medication and it's going to have this side effect. I think the best thing you can do as a person who's been diagnosed is that, oh, can you repeat that for me? And they, the medical staff is very understanding And they will make sure, not only will they give you printouts, but it's good for you to be able to write it down in your own terminology so that you understand the repercussions or the reactions that your loved one or yourself might have in these kind of cases. So I would suggest to anybody, grab yourself a composition notebook or grab something. Or nowadays we have memos on our smartphone. Make use of that memo and make sure that you're taking copious notes Um, so that you can write that stuff down. Not only do you want to know what they're telling you, but you also want to track your
1: own emotions. My guest is Tyrus Hinton, the book Baby Steps. More with Tyrus right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Tyrus Hinton is our guest. He's in Raleigh, North Carolina. His book is called baby steps and Tyrus. uh, We are now at day six blind trust. You call it build your support team. Uh, Fill us in for sure, Pat.
3: It's um, important that um, while we are in these situations that we have to build a network of people around us. Typically, Again, reaching back to our family, our family, depending on what diagnosis we're dealing with, they might not be clear and have a clear understanding of all that we're dealing with. So I think it's very important that you start to build trust in others, build trust in others that are dealing with what you're dealing with. Um, in our family in particular, we hadn't had anyone with childhood cancer up until our son was diagnosed. And unfortunately, they didn't really understand all that went into it. So what we had to do was we had to build a network uh, with the other parents that were on that particular um, cancer ward with us, and we were asked questions that we didn't have answers to. And um, it became very, very frustrating, as it will for anyone who is newly diagnosed with anything. So the best thing for you to do is to let down your guard and trust those strangers that are around you. You have to trust the doctors. You have to trust the nurses. You have to trust those who are going through it. You have to trust those who are willing to have conversation with you. Um, I think another important key is that you have to also realize that some people don't have the strength. Your family members don't really have the strength to deal with the day-to-day effects of diagnosis. Because remember, as we're diagnosed and we deal with these things our body can experience physical change. So in that, I admonish people to always, always, always find some people that you can talk to, find some people that are in the break room. When you go grab yourself up, uh, maybe a cup of coffee, you know, make sure you say hello. Or maybe if you're dealing with a really hard day and someone is willing to say, oh, man, I know it's rough, but you can make it open yourself up a little bit so that you can definitely um, start to build your support system, again, outside of the support system that we um, definitely are, were once familiar with.
1: Tyrus, uh, day seven, let it all out, exclamation point. Get mad, cry, scream. Oh, boy, uh, I want to hear about this.
3: Pat, (laughs) listen, one day, um, uh, this was several days in, uh, after my son's diagnosis, um, they came in. They were hoping that it was a different type of leukemia that he had, uh, which was less aggressive, which was ALL, but unfortunately he was diagnosed with the AML, which is acute myeloid leukemia, which is more aggressive, especially in children. And I remember that day where... My wife, she had gone into the bathroom and she had her prayer and meditation time. And then when she came out and she began to hold Terrell, I then took the elevator downstairs, uh, went out to the parking lot. They had a nice little area where you can sit, you can meditate, you can pray, you can, it's like a little garden of, a garden of peace. And then when I tell you I cried, I screamed, I let it all out. I asked so many questions. I was like, God, why me? Why my kid? Why my family? I was wondering, what did I do wrong? What is going on with my life? And at that point, I realized that, you know what? It's okay. It is okay for you to express that emotion. Um, You don't have to prove anything to anyone. You can express that emotion. Hey, let it all out. Scream, cry. It's real. It hurts. I didn't expect it. I wasn't prepared for it. This is humanity. I need to be human. And I encourage people. It's natural for anyone in the shoes of someone that has diagnosis to get mad, scream, yell, cry, and repeat it until they feel better. Until, um, until they feel like, okay, I'm a little bit better. Now I can go back and deal with it again. And I've, I've encouraged people over and over again, be human. Emotions are a clear symbol of humanity. I talk about that a little bit in that chapter as well. Um, I also suggest that people meditate. Um, in meditation, you can find yourself, of course, most people say it's quiet, but in meditation, sometimes you're crying. In meditation, sometimes um, you, you're kind of, you know, exuberating your voice a little bit louder than normal. So I encourage that for people to just let it all out. Get mad, get screamed, get cry. Don't hurt anyone. Uh, Just uh, make sure that you get it off of you so that you can feel better.
1: Now, uh, day eight, you say, don't cheat yourself. Uh, Explain that.
3: Um, Don't cheat yourself. Um, One thing we did um, as parents is we began to feel guilty whenever we would be happy. We began to feel guilty whenever, um, you know, we would want to do something good for ourselves and we wanted to eat and my son couldn't eat. It, we just we just felt really bad about it, and as a result of that, what we did was we started then denying ourselves the things. We started cheating ourselves. We started taking things away from ourselves. Then we also another way we cheated ourselves was we didn't learn enough about the disease that our son was dealing with. We didn't learn enough about the drugs that would be used to treat the illness. We didn't learn enough. So when I'm saying don't cheat yourself, don't cheat yourself, don't cheat yourself out of education. Don't teach yourself out of time. Don't teach yourself out of learning about um, different areas. Take some time, research your child's diagnosis. um make sure that you understand what's going on. Research the best cities uh, for treating your child's illness. I mean, if I could go back twenty two years, oh my God, and understand that St Jude had one of the best um, care facilities for children like mine, man. What would we have done to get him to St. Jude? Um, Take some time to research the medications that are available to your child. Sometimes we only receive what we're given, but if we would research a little bit and we would not cheat ourselves, the greatest way we cheat ourselves sometimes, Pat, is by keeping information or not going after information. So I really deal with that here. I encourage people to research, take care of yourself, but make sure you research as well.
1: Uh, Day nine, uh, treatment. It helps and hurts, you tell us. Uh, Tell us uh, what that all means.
3: So treatment is great. Chemotherapy is great. Uh, Radiation is great. We experienced that with my son. And uh, with that, that was pretty tough. When you're talking about it helps and it hurts, because the idea of the particular chemotherapy that he was on was to completely wipe out all of his blood cells, both white and red, um, which opened him up and made him prone to infection. So once again, it helped and it hurts. It helps because it been cleaning out the marrow, but then it hurts because then it exposes him to a whole lot of uh, infections. And sometimes the treatment can be very harsh at times. Some days um, my son would be so weak, we would have to carry him, he couldn't walk. Um, there were days when uh, his radiation was just so intense that it even changed his skin color. So, Again, I encourage people, and I don't spend a lot of time in that chapter, but I just give them enough to know that, listen, this treatment is good for you, but it may hurt a little bit. It may burn a little bit as the chemical comes in through the IV, but at the end of it all, it's going to help you. It's going to work out for you. Again, I encourage people to go back, uh, meditate, make sure that you meditate during treatment. That also helps you. Um, Make sure that you read during treatment, listen to some smooth jazz or some kind of music that can help soothe you, Um, research, read while you're going through the treatment, but make sure that you chronicle and write down the way the treatment made you feel, because that will definitely help you um, on that end where I talk about it helps and it hurts, helps you physically, hurts you physically, but will definitely have a great outcome if you're mentally strong to deal with it. Take baby steps
1: through it. Tyrus, thirty seconds in closing on day ten, called neglect.
3: The easiest way I can tell you that in thirty seconds is take care of yourself. Drink plenty of water. Stay hydrated. Exercise. Run. Jump. Have fun. Don't just become a chairperson because you've been diagnosed. You've been diagnosed. So now don't let it be the thing that kills you mentally. Make sure that you take baby steps to being better mentally so you can be better physically.
1: Well, I'll tell you this, Tyrus, this has been a very, very valuable half hour. And I'm so glad uh, that you could spend some time with us.
3: Pat, thank you so much. I've enjoyed sharing it. My goal and my hope is that this will get into the hands of people all over the world that would be able to use it as a resource as they battle whatever terminal illness they're facing.
1: Tyrus Hinton has been our guest, the book Baby Steps. We've got a wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Steve Witt, our guest in that first segment, Uh, from Cleveland, talking about your prophetic life map. And then Tyrus Hinton uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, joined us and talked about his book, Baby Steps. Um, I'd like to tell you about the latest book I've written. It's called Lead Like Walt. And we look at Walt Disney uh, as a leader and what were the qualities that Walt possessed uh, that made him such a good leader. Um I think you'll enjoy the book. Uh Brooke and Robin Lopez, the NBA centers wrote the foreword because they're absolutely nuts about everything Disney. Anyway, in the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful wonderful week ahead and we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour and this is again the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 the Word in Orlando. Have a